Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 5. We're just going to be covering the first 12 verses. We finished up the last time with Ephesians 4. The last sermon I did on that was titled A New You. It's about the new life in the Spirit. And today we're going to look at six evidences that surround the new life in Christ. And by next Sunday we'll have a greater understanding of what the new life in Christ really looks like from a positive standpoint as well as a negative standpoint as far as what not to do. So we'll jump in. I mean, a lot of people ask this question. They say, so what's it all about? You know, what happens from here? And this is why we cover the Bible from cover to cover, because the Bible is the way for us to understand how to walk as a new creature in Christ. So we'll jump in in verse 1. It says, Therefore be followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us, and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Therefore, remember, put the chapter delineations out of your mind. They came hundreds of years later. This was read in the church as one continuous thought, as one continuous letter. So what did he say? What was the antecedent? What came before this? He said, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit as believers. And we can do things that grieve God's heart, that can... Um, grieve the Holy Spirit when we're not listening to what the Spirit's telling us. You know, we start to, sometimes we have to fight the old nature of the flesh, and unfortunately sometimes we give into it through temptations and, and otherwise. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit, but do this, follow God. Now, so this is the first evidence today, is to be followers or imitators of God as children of God. That word follower in the Greek is mimites, where we get the word mimic from. A lot of really interesting Greek words that, that uh, translate into the English that really preserve almost like a transliteration. They preserve the 90% or more of their original content. So be followers of God as dear children. You know, you, this is great when the Bible talks about being born again of the Spirit, like almost being born as a baby. When we're of the Spirit, you know, things start kind of all over again. We learn about God. We're in tune to God. And then he talks about being infants, and, and then he talks about being children. So it's almost like we're growing developmentally in a spiritual sense as we grew developmentally a long time ago when we were born in a physical sense. When you watch children learn about God, this is what I love. There's no pretense, no prejudice, and no phoniness. A lot of those things, unfortunately, are learned later on. And some of us had, had a rough childhood, but I think if we, if we look back far enough, there was a point in time where there was an innocence about us in our childhood. And sometimes we kind of long for those days when now the weight of the world is on our shoulders. So there's, <laughs> God's Word is so amazing. It's just so perfectly knit together for us to have a better understanding. God wants us to be like children again when we deal with him. Even Jesus said to his disciples, unless you're converted and be like these little children, you can't even see the kingdom of heaven to learn from a child. How appropriate that we had Bill come up and talk about VBS. Listen, if you're depressed, if you're having a bad day, come to VBS and just watch the kids. 
just watch how they're singing and running back and forth and being silly and you know it's just an amazing thing to watch kids you don't even have to be your kids you know it just warms your heart it's a wonderful thing the hardest of warriors heart can be melted when they spend time watching the innocence of children so God says this for a reason you know God sees through all our pretenses anyway we might as well just be real with him who are we kidding Follow God as children by what? Walking in love as Christ walked in love. How? What kind of love did Christ display? Today we look at love. Love is thrown around so much because it's just a feeling. Oh, I like you today. Love you. You know what I'm saying? I don't like you tomorrow. I hate you. Is that really love? It's whimsical love. Jesus Christ gave himself for us. That was sacrificial love. We're going to revisit this in the discussion we have on marriage. Sacrificial love is key. And also, if we really love God, then we at times sacrifice things in our lives. Maybe our time, maybe our, our holy grail schedules to include God into our lifestyles. We sacrifice for Jesus. Well, God, Jesus doesn't want us to hang on a cross. Only he could do that. But we should be sacrificing as we grow in our Christianity. And let me say this, that no relationship is ever a perfect relationship or a really good one unless there is continual sacrifice with both parties, whoever it is. Christ, uh, the Apostle Paul goes on. He says that Christ gave himself for us as a few things. Number one, he talks about an offering. Number two, a sacrifice. Literally, Christ gave himself as a sacrifice. And three, for a sweet-smelling aroma. This is reminiscent when you read this. For those of us who have know the Bible, have read the Bible. It brings back memories. It's reminiscent of the Levitical sacrificial system in the Old Testament. The atonement, the peace offering, the fellowship you know, offerings. Christ fulfilled these and the Father accepted his sacrifice. That sweet-smelling aroma. It wasn't sweet because God particularly liked the smell of it. It was euphemistic for God accepted the sacrifice. When Jesus died for our sins, he accepted that our sins were paid for at the cross. And it was good to him, and it's really good for us. We certainly got the best end of the deal when it came to that one. Verse 3, let's look at things in the negative. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Pretty powerful. So the second evidence, what are we not anymore? What are, we, are, are we not anymore imitating or following the world? Why? Because number one, it isn't us anymore. And those that practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Those that make a lifestyle, are we still going to sin? Of course. I don't want to mislead anybody. We're still going to sin. We still need repentance. But this is a lifestyle. Remember, I remember my life before a Christian and my life now as a Christian. Now I fight against the old man of the flesh who tries to rear his ugly head. I try to keep him in the basement and lock the door, you know what I'm saying, under surveillance and such. But he likes to pop up every once in a while. But back then, we didn't fight anything. We just did it. We made a lifestyle of it. This is a gut check for us. Are we really born again of the Spirit? 
If that's the case, then one and two, we will follow God as dear children. We will walk in love. And these next three verses, we won't do what he says is negative. I tell you, pastors have a lot to do. And, you know, I, I question a ministry, and certainly it isn't ours, to walk around scrutinizing everybody. Are you fornicating? Are you unclean? It's not our job. That's not what we're doing. But the word is convicting. When we hear the word, we think, well, maybe I'm not so good on that one, but maybe that one I'm better on. So let me work on the thing that I'm not good at. What is the Holy Spirit trying to teach me? We're not here to be the church police. This is something that we should all take mental and spiritual note of. When people come into the church, they come in with a variety of issues. Sin sin issues, dysfunction issues. Change comes through, number one, the Word of God, right? Prayer, discipleship, and accountability. And the question is, do we want to change or do we not want to change? Do we come to church and we just punch the card and I'm good for the week, God's pleased with me? Or is it a relationship? Because that's what God desires, the latter. But let's look at the checklist. Number one, fornication. The Greek word is pornia, where we get pornography from. So you look at harlotry, adultery, sex, out, sex outside of marriage. Pastor, did you just say sex outside of marriage? Well, if you looked around, you see the culture, you looked on social media, oh, I'm going to get to social media. The Bible doesn't change with the times. That's the beauty of the Bible. It stands firm as a bulwark against the tide of society. It resists the society. And that's why we can see it as genuine and we can rely on it. Because people who flip-flop and politicians believe this one day and five years later they believe something else. Well, what did you believe? That or this or is it politically expedient? The Bible does not change with the tide. I think about, and it's funny, it just came to me this morning as I'm going over my notes. I think about the whole, yeah, I'm going to go there with social media. The sexting craze. And usually it's this thing with young people where they take naked pictures of themselves and they send it to their boyfriend or girlfriend. You know how many people have committed suicide because a jilted lover put it on the internet or social media? If you sext, if you send a naked picture of yourself, you need to assume that somebody can put it in a search engine and you're going to be right there. Are you comfortable with that? Because that's what's going to happen. Because you're putting your faith in a person that they're going to keep it confidential. And what about when we get hacked? Maybe it wasn't the boyfriend or the girlfriend. Maybe it it came through through some hackers having a good time with your social media site. I have to tell you, these practices are more hurtful. I'm speaking to the young women here. This sex outside of marriage. And what happens is uh, a man will use you for years. And you'll start to use the, lose the flower of your youth. And then several years later, he'll be done with you and move on, and you've wasted all those years thinking there was going to be some type of commitment. I'm just here to tell you what the Bible says. I didn't write it, but I'm 100% behind it. Two, uncleanness. Any type of moral impurity. Again, sexual sins have been around since the fall. Today, even in a news feed, uh, my computer... In my office downstairs at home, I have pop-up blockers because everything is sex. And the truth is, sex does sell. You look at business news, there's a girl in a bikini. What does one have to do with the other? I have no idea. But it's designed to get your attention. I purposely won't choose a company that advertises that way because I don't believe in it. What about Christians? What What are Christians doing on social media? 
a look at this stick over here. You know where I'm going? We used to take, uh, well, I don't, I don't take selfies, you know. I don't need to look at myself all the time. And, and I'm not against anybody who does take selfies. But now they have selfie sticks. So now you can put your phone on a stick and raise it up. And <laughs> This is me from a hang glider's view. Really? There's not enough angles of you that now we need one up here? And then this happens too. I'm just telling it like it is. So now we've gone from narcissistic to pornographic. How much of our flesh and our skin do we need to show to the rest of the world? How much of our assets do we really want the world to see? That's A-S-S-E-T-S. I talk fast. And listen, it isn't just the girls, it's the guys too. You know, everybody's got to be showing off their skin. I don't know. The Bible says, it talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. Does anybody know what the pride of life is, really? That's a hard one. We usually skip over that. The pride of life is, I, I see what my flesh wants, I see what my eyes want, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh. The pride of life is both in reverse. Basically, you want to show off what you have so people can be jealous and covet what you have. That's really what the pride of life is. After an extensive study, because nobody could really answer that, um, that's what it means. You know what's, what makes me sad is that Christians, we're supposed to be setting the tempo for society. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be light. And you know what I find? Even in Calvary chapels, a lot of Christians are followers. Society does this, so we have to follow it. And then we put a Christian label on it and say it's okay. That's not what the Bible says. We're supposed to be setting the tempo. So yes, I'm going to go there with social media. I know a, a, a woman, not from this church, and was wondering why she can't lead her atheist friends to Jesus. Well, because the guy looks on her wall and all he sees is pictures of her all the time. Do You see, we in the church have come to this stupid conclusion that unbelievers are dumb. That we can sell them ridiculous things about ourselves and then expect that we're going to tell them about Jesus. We need to walk the walk and not just talk it. Because unbelievers are very shrewd. And in a moment of truth, and I've heard this from atheists, from unbelievers, don't you think that I want to believe? But unfortunately, they're seeing a lot of frauds. And they're not finding the authenticity where they can learn about who Jesus really is. Because people aren't changing. We need to change. We need to love others, our friends, enough to change. Three, covetousness, greedy, wanting what others have, never satisfied. Listen, I deal with, as a pastor, over the years, wealthy people. And when I go into their homes, I don't go, oh, I don't drool all over their stuff. I don't care. My riches in Christ are far better than, than what they have. And you know what? Their desire is to have something that they don't have already. That the credit card and the, and the loans can't buy. That's Jesus Christ and it's given as a free gift. You know, wealthy people have the same problems that we do. Wealthy people have problems with their kids. Wealthy people have problems with relationships. Greedy, covetous. Remember Gehazi in 2 Kings? I mean, he, had, he was protege to one of the best prophets that ever lived. 
And he went after Naaman the Syrian who was cleansed from his leprosy and he snuck away from the prophet, I think it was Elisha, and he goes to Naaman and he, he lies. Oh yeah, my master would love some of your stuff. So he loads it up, gives it to Gehazi, and the prophet asks him, where were you? Knowing. Oh, nowhere. I wasn't anywhere. Well, the, the leprosy that left Naaman is going to be on you now. Gehazi syndrome. Covetousness leads to jealousy. Jealousy, I have to tell you, in 11 years is one of the ugliest things I've ever seen in the church. When Christians get caught up in jealousy, that person's got more money, that person looks better than me, that person has better possessions, talents, spouses. There's no end to coveting. Whatever that person has that you don't think you have, you covet. Jealousy. So here's the question. Let's tie this together. What does covetousness, sexual sins, and crudeness, which we're going to cover, have in common? Unchecked appetites. We're, we're a new person of the flesh, but we're acting as if we're still the old person. We're letting our flesh and our appetites get, to be, get the better of us. I need it, I want it, and I want it now. Instant gratification. 1 John, I'd like to read that scripture to you. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. The Apostle John says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, let's make this clear. When it says, God so loved the world, he sent his only begotten son, that word cosmos is a contextual word. Jesus died for the people in the world. We're to love the people in the world, but we're not to love the things in the world and the world system that's poised against God. We start following Hollywood and politics, and what happens is we as Christians are following uh, forces that are poised against God. Psalm 2. What are we doing? You know, we're confused about where our loyalties lie. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I love God. No, you don't. If this describes you. I didn't say it. John said it. I agree with it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. I want to abide forever. I don't want to be here just as long as the world is and play Russian roulette with my spirituality and one day I die or get hit by a bus and it's all over. And I've got to stand before God. I don't want that. I want to abide forever with Him, this world and beyond. 5b speaks about, let me just read this again. Ephesians 5, 5, he says, nor a covetous man who is an idolater. So the Bible equates covetousness, wanting you know, something that somebody else has, um, jealousy mixed into it, all these things, is to idolatry. What are we putting our time into? What are we putting our money into? What are we putting... Let me tell you something. To me, time is precious because I have a lot of things to do. It's very pre- to me, time is more precious than money. So some, some say, well, you know, I'm, I tithe or whatever. But what about the time that you spend in a day and a week? Is any of it devoted to the Lord? What about our fruit? We can put out good fruit or we can put out bad fruit. If you take all these things together, that equals worship. I love God. Really? What does the Bible say? Let me look and see what the Scripture says. Do I really love God? And I really believe I need to say this is if some are thinking, gee, I'm failing in this checklist... 
Paul said something very interesting in 2 Corinthians 2. He spoke about the man who was caught in a, a heavy sin and he repented. And he told the church to come around him and encourage him because he repented. Because he didn't want the guy to be swallowed up with too much sorrow. See, God's desire isn't to beat us down. God's desire is to, is to convict, is to show us that what we're doing is not right. It's not for us to say, woe is me, I'm suicidal. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for repentance, a change of heart. And then immediately, there's a restoration. That's why Jesus died for our sins. So it's not to say, woe is me, I'm miserable. It, it's to repent, it's to change. And for there to be a restorative process and for God to grow us from that, that place. Because then he can really use us mightily. Fifth one, filthiness, shamefulness or obscenity. Six, foolish talking, buffoonery, idle talking. And I've seen this. That's me in the church. This is me outside of the church. I'm really a cool guy. You know, I kind of do the church thing and, you know, make my mom happy and stuff, make God happy. But this is what I do outside of church. It's actually called hypocrisy. Now, I've seen this foolish talking. Again, <laughs> Satan's best tool is to take whatever is done in the world and bring it into the church, to water the church down, to send these these leavenous situations to spread throughout the church so he can completely neutralize it, make it weak and effective so we don't have unity and then we can't affect anybody else on the outside, right? But I think about this buffoonery and, and foolish talking and I've seen this primarily with men. Women have their issues, men have their issues. When men get together at a men's event and they start talking about their past, it's supposed to be a testimony. This is what the Lord delivered me from. So the first guy says, you know, I used to be a shoplifter. And the second guy gets up and goes, that's nothing. I was a bank robber. The third guy gets up, that's nothing. I was a serial killing, gang banging, you know, whatever. And, and this is what people do. It, to me, it's foolishness. We're not to glamorize our old life. We're to use it to show what Christ did, not to have a desire to, to say, well, that was really cool what I did, because it's not, because we weren't walking with the Lord. Seven, coarse jesting. Greek word is, means to be able to turn easily. I look at this as vulgar witticism. Someone who can take any subject and turn it into perversity. The proverbial water cooler in the office discussions when the guys get together. And, and gals are doing it now too. Quick witticism. Being quick-witted can be a curse if we don't tame our flesh. Because the flesh is, you know, it just comes naturally. And, and it should, there should be some type of filter between what happens up here, the pop-ups, and going out through the mouth. Verses 3 and 4. It says, these are not fitting for us. Fitting is used in the New King James in both verse 3 and 4, but each Greek word is a different word, but both translated to fitting. And I'll explain to you what that means. It means it's not proper, it's not suitable, it's not becoming, it's not us anymore. God has turned us from the animal kingdom, right? A mind and a body, a spirit that was dormant if we're not uh, born again or dead. Animals have a mind and a body too. And I've talked about those videos. Again, these videos were a bunch of people, whether they're teens or adults, and they get together and they just beat up somebody for fun. And I've seen videos of girls doing it. It's like, wow. I, I'm like, how could the... It's, it's like savagery. It's, it's like animal kingdom. It's like watching one of them shows. You know, God took Nebuchadnezzar the king in Daniel 4... And he humbled him, and he, 
he caused Nebuchadnezzar to actually fall down on all fours and start to eat grass like an animal. And they left the king alone for a while. They didn't know what was wrong with him. But God brought him back down to that situation and then he brought him back up again. And I believe towards the end of Nebuchadnezzar's life, God did a work in him. But this isn't fitting for us because we're not that anymore. We're not supposed to be eating uh, food off the ground like animals. God has put a spirit. He's revived our spirit. We're now children of God. There's certain things we shouldn't be doing anymore. And it's, listen, we're all a work in progress. I get that. I want to read too, talking about immersing yourself in, in these things and even having associates who tempt us into doing these things. Warren Wiersbe in his book on Ephesians, Be Rich, page 140, he says this, I recall a friend in youth work who felt it was necessary to read all that the teenagers were reading in order to understand them better. I have a word for that. It's called relevance. We're starting to see that today in ministry where especially youth pastors, I'm so thankful for my team back there that they don't succumb to this. Celebrityism, I want to be relevant, I want to be cool. And instead of teaching the teens what it looks like to be a functional adult, they jump into the culture, which makes no sense because the teens become more confused. So in order, you know where this is going, in order to understand them better, it so polluted his mind that he himself fell into sin. It is not necessary for the believer to perform an autopsy on a rotting corpse to expose its rottenness. I love the old saints. Boy, they, uh, they have a really a bite to what they say. It's very powerful. I know believers who have this macabre fascination with the dark side. Supposedly, God called them out of it. They want to go to haunted houses. They want to go through cemeteries. They want to look at... I'm not going to say there's a website out there that shows crime scenes. Can I tell you something? I've seen crime scenes in 23 years. They're not pretty. And some of them I can still recall like it was yesterday. There's nothing edifying about seeing somebody who was murdered or had their brains splattered out by a shotgun. Why would we desire to look at that? That's macabre. We've been pulled away from that. That's not us anymore. It says, but rather of giving thanks. Here's the alternative. To be grateful. What has God given me? What three things can I think about right now in a split second that God has blessed me with? I can probably think of more than 20 off the top of my head. But all of us could think of at least a few things. You're here. You're breathing. Okay? You can think. Good. Uh, <laughs> so so this is, there's a lot to be thankful for. Verse 6 and 7. He says, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons and daughters of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. The third evidence is that there will be a consequence for which lifestyle, which thing we follow, which thing we imitate. In the Apostle Paul's day, the false teachers were saying, grace, 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 do whatever you want. Live however you want. In, in, order, in other words, the flesh that you are supposed to be crucified to, live according to the flesh. If it feels good, do it. We hear that today in a lot of different ways. The Apostle Paul was saying, not so fast. Hebrews 10, do we trample the Son of God underfoot after he made that sacrifice for our sins? Today, I still hear it. Grace, 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 grace. And usually that either comes from false teachers or lazy pastors, busy pastors, or compromised pastors. Because they compromise with people 
that have benefited them in the ministry so they can't discipline them. Grace, grace, grace. That means that's an easy way for I don't want to deal with it. I want to sweep it under the rug. There's an expression physically, you've heard of it, you are what you eat. It's true. <laughs> Supersize me, right? The, that video for 30 days, you know, taking the blood tests and stuff. <laughs> the guy didn't do so good. His body wasn't in great shape because he was eating fast foods. So we are what we eat. But there's a spiritual concept that says we are what we do or we are what we fail to do. Now let me give you the two extremes today because this is important. This is very important. Here's the one extreme. How many of you have heard about the church? And they're a small church, but they're always in the media. The Westboro Baptist Church. They protest military funerals. Something wrong with these people. They think they hate everyone, and they think God hates everyone. And they hold up the placards. God loves dead soldiers. You're going to hell. God hates fags. All these things that aren't even true. But there's something wrong with them. They're kind of like a cult, but the media loves to focus on them and says, this is Christianity. That's not us. That's not us. We, we're to win people to Christ because God does love the unsaved, and he does desire that all would come to him. That's important. On the other extreme are the libertines or the antinomianists who put forth gospel light and the prosperity gospel. Water it down, water it down, water it down until we don't recognize the gospel anymore. Saved? What am I saved from? Nobody even knows what they're saved from. Come to Jesus? Why come to Jesus? I'm, I'm fine right now. You, you can't... Listen, you can't really appreciate delicious fruit until you've tasted bitter fruit. Oh, then you taste good fruit. You're like, wow, what a difference. You can't appreciate light until you, you know that you're in darkness. And that's actually the next uh, subject. Let me encourage you, though. God loves repentance, and he loves to restore us. Okay? A lot of this is speaking about a lifestyle, a practice. All the things I did up until age 25, 26, till I became a Christian. And I can see the difference now, because I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I did 50%, 50%. I'm right at the crux where I'm at the same amount of time in each, in each life, so to speak. Let no one deceive you. The wrath of God is coming down on the sons and daughters of disobedience. The only way to escape, if this is concerning you this morning, good. The way to escape is through the blood of Christ, period. Even when Abraham, there needed to be a sacrifice. He had his son on the mountain, and, and there needed to be a sacrifice. God provided a ram caught in the thicket. God provided his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He says, therefore, knowing this, don't be partakers with them. If you're a new believer or you're a struggling or weak believer, and you have friends that try to keep tempting you to do the wrong thing, maybe it's time to take a pause. Or maybe it's time to say, you know, I, I really wish you wouldn't do that. If you love me, you understand where I am at this point in life. You know, you could be very gentle. I, if, as a good friend, I just wish you wouldn't keep asking me to do these things because I don't want to. I think it's worse when Christians have carnal Christian friends. I think it's far worse because they call themselves Christians, they pretend, they act as if they love God, and they try to negatively influence a Christian who's trying to walk strong. And they wear against them and wear against them, and sometimes they give in. I think that's a lot more dangerous than having friends that are in the world, personally. 
Here's an, alterna an, alternative, an alternative partaking in 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4. He says this, In His divine power, He has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Through these, He has given us His very great, great and precious promises, so that through them you may be partakers of the divine nature. So it said, don't be partakers with those who are living these debauched lifestyles, especially those that are calling themselves Christians. He goes, but be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. In a sense, <laughs> listen, little kids like to imitate mommy. Little kids like to imitate daddy. In a spiritual sense, we want to imitate daddy. Little boys, they wear their daddy's shoes and put a tie around their neck and, you know, they, whatever the father does. If they're a construction worker, they put a big, you know, hard hat and, and it covers their whole head and face because they're so little. Kids love to imitate parents. But we as believers need to be imitating our daddy in heaven, to be Christ-like. That's what should be our desire, to please him. Do we really love him? then we should want to, it's just like any other relationship. When you want to please somebody, you want to like the things that they like. You want to seek their approval. So it's like we're little kids in daddy's big shoes and his tie, our father in heaven. We can be partakers of the divine nature. People say there's something different about you, and they can't put their finger on it if you're really walking strong. They see Christ shining through you. You, you can't help it. That's what we want to do. Last few verses, 8 through 12. It says, For you were once darkness. There's no error there. You, me, we were once darkness. Not in the dark, but we were darkness. But now you are light in the world. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Proving what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. Can darkness produce fruit? The answer is yes. Light can produce fruit and darkness can produce fruit. And the Bible says you'll know the person by their fruits, but rather expose them, for it is even shameful to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. So the fourth evidence, all summed up in the concept of light versus darkness, this contrast between being lost and being saved through Christ's light. See, we're either walking in light or we're walking in darkness. You know that we can't walk in light and darkness at the same time. There's a very, I love the way Jesus used these concepts and his followers capitalized on them through the power of the Holy Spirit. Can we walk into a light room and a dark room at the same time? The answer is no. If it's round or rectangular, it's, there's either going to be light in it or there's going to be darkness in it. And the light of God is so bright that there's no way we could be in a light and dark room at the same time. It's the same thing in our walk. We're either walking in light or we're walking in darkness. Jesus alluded to the fact that people do evil deeds in the dark. I did uh, security surveys for many, much of my career, and the first thing that I would look at is a person's home is lighting. Lighting. How's the lighting? How's the lighting in the back? Here's some free um, tips for, uh, you know, keeping your house security. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do, but light is very important. Or a person maybe 10 years ago, 
and they had landscaping done. Now the landscaping is so overgrown that it covers the light. And now there's complete dark areas. Burglars love that because they do their evil deeds, deeds in the darkness. If a light goes on, they usually run because it's, it's a shock to them. And they realize, I'm lit up. Somebody can see what I'm doing. They can ID me. In a, in a, in a, a spiritual sense, who do we think we're kidding? God sees everything. I just, I just like to come clean with him. He doesn't have to, he doesn't have to sit with me too long. I, I know what I did today. I know what I did yesterday. And I just fall on the sword and repent. Why try to kid God? Why try to justify it and worm our way around it? Verses 9 through 10, he says, For the fruit of the Spirit, actually, few older manuscripts have the fruit of the light. And that's very interesting is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. When we walk in light, we walk in the Spirit, fruit emanates us. One of, it is, one of it, them are goodness. Goodness, virtue, beneficence. And that comes from following God. Righteousness, the quali- quality of being morally right, being justified by our, by our belief and our trust in what Jesus did on the cross for our sins. Truth, to speak truth, not being a liar. To live truth to the best of our ability. Do we play the hypocrite? We've been Christians long enough. Yes, we do. And we have to recognize it for what it is. I can look back at situations in my life and see, that was pretty hypocritical, Joe. I'm not perfect. If you're looking for the perfect person, you need to vote me out and get somebody else in here. Because it isn't me. Okay? I just want to encourage you with that. But to, to live a life that when we're in church and we're at a church, that they're very similar that they're very similar. Honestly, people come to me and uh, they come into church and they, they're having a bad day. I don't make them smile. I, I give them their space. You know what I'm saying? Be yourself when you come in here. You don't have to put on a show for anybody. You certainly don't have to do it for me. Let's just live a life of truth. Right? What's real? What's actual? And then he says, he says, uh, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. In a sense, we're being tested, we're being approved, um, you know, wanting to do what pleases God. One more scripture before we close, Galatians 5. Different letter to a different group of people. Look at the amazing similarities here. Galatians 5, 23 through 25, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. I want to focus on joy. Peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And at the end of Ephesians, it talks about submitting to one another. This is what we shouldn't be doing. This is what we should be doing. Joy. There's an expression that happiness is a thermometer, but joy is a thermostat. Right? In other words, you look at the thermometer, it tells you the temperature of the room. Happiness, I'm getting along with my wife, there's some money in the bank, I'm happy. It's a beautiful sunny day out, I can't wait to go out there. And usually when things are crummy, we're not happy anymore. It's a fleeting emotion. It's a, it's a thermometer. But joy is a thermostat. You set the temperature. I know some of you laugh at me because I'm always going around playing with the thermostats. <laughs> you know? 
But the thermostat tells everything else what to do. Joy is a thermostat. When we have joy in the Lord, the Lord... And this is the thing. I, honestly, me out of the pulpit, I, I like people. I want people to like me. This is necessary, though. Some of this stuff is hard to preach, but it's necessary. You want joy in your life? You want a better life? You want victory over your sins and whatever you're dealing with? This is what the answer is. Joy, the thermostat. It sets the tempo for my mental state and my spiritual state. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. Philippians 4.11, the Apostle Paul says that he has learned in whatever state he is to be in content. You realize most of these letters where he's so positive and upbeat, he's writing from a stinking Roman prison. Not climate control like our prisons today. Not health care. Not free of rats and vermin. All right? Not the best food. He's writing from prison. However, he had joy because he was so empowered by the Lord that his circumstances didn't affect him. Verse 11. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Actually, that is a, and I can't remember which one, that is a verse, that's the moniker on a website that deals with false teaching. Have no fellowship with them, but exposed it. And that's what it does. It exposes false teaching. Some people think, hey, that's mean. No, it's not mean. If it's false teaching, you're, you're brainwashing somebody into believing something that's not true. You're giving them a false foundation. That's mean. False teaching is mean. Not exposing false teaching. And that's why I often will talk about a false teacher and then I'll use his own words or her own words to back up what I'm saying. It's not biblical. So, what do we... What are we here to expose? Number one, demonic doctrine. It doesn't lead to salvation, and it causes wicked behavior. Now, understand this. Darkness is not a color. Darkness is not a color. It's devoid of God's light. It's an absence. Understand? Absolute cold is not a temperature. It's the absence of any heat. Right? So darkness is a concept. It's a spiritual position. Many false teachers are well-spoken, they're beautiful, they're articulate, they're charismatic, but they have unfruitful works of darkness. And those unfruitful works lead to the watering down of Christianity. So let's just say in Middlesex County, if all of us are listening and watching false teaching and we're not growing, then guess what? Everything surrounding us, there's no salt, there's no light. It's just going to keep imploding upon itself. We see that in our culture in American culture, there is a culture war. Right? A lot of things, we look on the TV, we look on the news, and we're like, something's wrong here. What's going on here? It's a discernment that we have. So number one, the teaching is bad, and number two, the behavior is bad. Verse 12, expose it. Don't have long discussions about it. Don't talk about our past like it was some really cool thing we did, and now we're reformed because we got older. <laughs> But, I mean, that's not what we're to do. Expose it. This is wrong. I've talked to a lot of young adults, and I tell them, and I say from the pulpit, this was my past. That's the dumpster that I crawled out of. Why are you trying to crawl back into the dumpster that I've crawled out of and I had freedom from? I got a shave, I got a haircut, I'm clean, I have nice clothes. Figuratively, 
I'm, I'm out of the dumpster. You keep trying to eat the scraps that are in the dumpster. It smells, it's dirty, it's, it's unedifying, you'll get an infection. It's not good for you. It's disease-ridden. I don't get it. Some people have to learn for themselves to make their own mistakes. Well, I was one of those people, so I can't really say much about that. We covered four out of six evidences surrounding the new life. And we get a greater understanding of what it looks like. Jesus said that he is the light. Jesus also said to his disciples, you are light. And by extension, we are light of the world. Because we reflect, we emanate Christ's light. I think it goes more than reflection. Like Moses, when he came down from the mountain, had a glow about him because he was with the Lord. I believe that because the Holy, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit, that there's an emanation out of us when we're truly walking with the Lord and people can't figure it out, but they like it. Or some are con incredibly convicted by it, even though you don't say a word. It goes one way or the other. Are we living this? If we're the light and we can light up the darkness, then we can lead others out of darkness that are in darkness. You're concerned about your friends? You're concerned about the teen suicide rate? You're concerned about the overdose rate? Be a part of the solution. This community needs that. We have communities and lives of people crumbling all around us because of the forces of darkness. And they're winning a lot of skirmishes, but they're not going to win the war. But a lot of people are going to be casualties of that war. There's no neutral ground in the spiritual war. Every individual here can make a difference. And if you don't believe me, let's have a conversation after church, and I'll show you. Are we going to continue to watch people fall as spectators? Or are we going to really rely on the new life of Christ? Number one, for our own growth and edification. And number two, to be a part of the solution in the lives of others. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road, in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.